tonight as we look at uh, Galatians 1 here, the rest of this, or uh, yeah, the rest of this chapter here, uh, we find in verses 11 through uh, chapter 2, Paul is now going to defend his apostolic authority. And um, this is important. Already, Paul has revealed in the opening verses of Galatians and what we looked at last week, um, two main problems that needed to be addressed in these churches of Galatia. The first is the gospel of grace has been perverted. And so Paul is writing about these Judaizers who have come and they have said, it's good that you've believed in Jesus, but you must also be circumcised. You must keep the law of Moses. So it's Jesus plus something. Paul says this is, this is a different gospel. It's no gospel. Um, and the word that he uses is the idea that it is different. It is, um, it's another gospel, but it's not the gospel. And uh, it is a perversion. And so he deals with that issue. And he says if anyone... Uh, preaches another gospel, let him be anathema. So this is really at the heart of the reason for writing this letter. But also we see now in verses uh, 11 and 12, he says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to you, uh, preached by me, is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what we see Paul now doing is he is going to um, be defending his apostleship, that as he has spoken, as he has preached, he has done this under the authority uh, given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Judaizers were seeking to undermine Paul's authority, kind of saying, well, he's kind of a secondary teacher. He's, he was kind of an apprentice uh, to the apostles. Um, and uh, he was not one who spent time with Christ, and that's true. The other disciples, the other apostles, had been those who had lived with Christ, witnessed him, and uh, this was not something that Paul had done. So he was not a part of the inner circle of these apostles. He's kind of a Johnny-come-lately, and that, that, again, is true. Um, and so they are seeking to undermine Paul's authority in the minds of these believers in Galatia. They've come from Jerusalem, and they're falsely indicating that the apostles down there in Jerusalem uh, did not really align with this Paul and what he's been preaching to you. And that, of course, was not true, but that these are things that they were suggesting to them. And so he, at points, has distorted the gospel. And uh, so these Judaizers, as a, as a were, come to kind of correct the problems that they think Paul has brought about. Um, and so what was the motive of Paul? Well, they, they probably were saying what, it, what we see in verse 10. Uh, Paul says, I didn't, I, uh, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. It may have been these false teachers also were saying, well, Paul had some bad motives. Paul was just wanting to please the Gentiles. 
he was a man pleaser. And uh, so he kind of trimmed his message uh, in that way to uh, affect those that he was speaking to. Um, and so this was driving a wedge between the Apostle Paul and these, what they were saying were these true apostles down in Jerusalem. Um, they believe and affirm what we believe and teach. So they were aligned, they, they were saying, with the apostles down in Jerusalem. Um, and so take Paul with a grain of salt. He's at points a loose cannon. And so he's inferior, he's subject, uh, his message is, uh, is inferior to that of the apostles in Jerusalem. Um, so this kind of sets the context of where we go here from verse 11 into chapter 2. And if you think of the book of Galatians, you can think of it in three sections. The first section is chapters 1 and 2, where we find Paul, what he's doing here, he's vindicating himself. Um, and then in chapters 3 and 4, it's exposition. He is giving a defense of the gospel. And in chapters 5 and 6, we have an application of the gospel. What does all of this mean for our day-to-day -day living? We are called to walk in the spirit. And he talks about it in those chapters. So chapters 1 and 2 are um, a biography. This is about Paul's life. And then chapters 3 and 4, we have theology. And then in chapters 5 and 6, we might say we have ethics or practical theology. And so this is where we are tonight as we think of Paul um, defending his authority that he has received, not from men, but it is from God. So he defends it here in these uh, first and second chapters of Galatians. And it's interesting, Paul uses pretty much a considerable amount of ink to do this, to make a defense for himself. And it may seem to some that he's kind of full of himself, wanting to please men, as is noted in verse 10, where he says he's not. Um, it might appear that he's just trying to make a name and a platform for himself. Maybe he has a fragile ego, and so he you know, has to counter these people that are speaking ill of him. And certainly that is a temptation for those in ministry um, to uh, want to defend themselves for their self's sake. Um, but for Paul, there is something more that is at stake here. Uh, typically, Paul is shy about speaking about himself. You remember in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I was caught up into the third heaven and I saw things that I'm not even going to be able to repeat and tell you of. If anyone had wanted to boast about themselves and things that they had experienced, certainly it was Paul, but he didn't do that. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sakes. So why does he come out, as it were, with boxing gloves here, as he is making a defense for himself? Well, it's because the issue is not only the gospel, but it's also because of the one who has brought this gospel to them. So if you undermine the man that has brought this gospel to them, you undermine the gospel as well. You call into question the authority of Paul and what he taught, and you uh, undermine the gospel. 
And so here he defends um, a sacred trust that had been given to him by Christ. It is Christ who has called me to this. And so he's defending himself because it is Christ who has called him to this. And for him to, um, and, and, and this is the authority by which he speaks, and therefore this gospel that he preaches. So Paul's thesis is that his teaching and his authority have come from God, and it has not come from men. And we see this here in verses 11 and 12. Verse 12, I, 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 uh, for I um, neither received it from men, nor was I taught it, by, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. These words I here, Paul is using the emphatic here. I receive this not of men, but I receive this from the Lord himself. So my authority, my gospel, my boldness to preach comes from God, comes from Christ. So to defend himself is a safeguard to the sacred trust given to him by God. Um, Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency may be of God and not of us. I'm just a clay pot, an old clay pot that God, by his grace, has determined uh, to allow the gospel to be something that I have been able to present and minister. But I'm just a clay pot. But the treasure that I have is this gospel given to me by Christ. And if you look at Paul's introduction, you see Paul's really kind of picking up on the first verse in this book, and now he's giving commentary on it. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not from men. So already he's setting uh, the stage here. It's not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So here is now Paul picking up on this saying that it is not according to men that I have received this calling and my training, but it is all of God. Um, so Paul, as he has preached the gospel, this message of good news is a message that has come down to them through Paul from God, directly through Paul himself. I didn't learn this in some seminary um, where I was taught wasn't taught by men uh, as I walked on this earth. I myself um, was taught of God. The gospel came to me by revelation of Jesus Christ himself. Um, verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, don't you love that verse? But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son, notice this, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem 
to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Paul speaks here about his own personal history and what God had done for him. He was formerly, he says, a Pharisee. And Philippians 3, he says, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was one who persecuted the church beyond measure, he said. Um, the word here is to excel, to go beyond. He went and above and beyond uh, what we might think it would be a, his duty. He was zealous in this. He, dis, he tried to destroy it. He s- tried to destroy the church. And uh, he said, I did this continually. Again, he was the Obama, uh, Osama bin Laden of the first century. He was committed to jihad, to destroying his enemies, the church. And we read about this in the book of Acts. Listen to some of these verses. Acts 8.3, Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Saul in, in Acts 9.1 was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples. So he consented even to the stoning of Stephen, you remember. They laid their garments at the feet of Saul as they were stoning Stephen, the very first martyr of the church, and probably Saul was the authority there behind it. It was him that was there, and it was Stephen who became the first martyr. I saw on Facebook a post, and I can't remember it exactly, but it kind of caught my attention, and it said something about this, that when those who had been martyred by Paul in heaven were in heaven, or they had been martyred by Saul, when, when, when Paul came into heaven, that they rejoiced. And they were saying, this is the power of the gospel, that the very lives of those who had been lost and destroyed, killed by the Apostle Paul, were able in heaven to rejoice in this man who has come into the presence of God by God's grace, and they were able to rejoice in that. Another verse, uh, Acts 26, 11, I punished them, Christians, often in every synagogue, and I compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul went from Jerusalem all the way to Damascus. It's about 150 miles, I think. All the way there just to persecute uh, Christians. And when God said to Ananias, I want you to go and find this Saul of Tarsus, <laughs> what was his response? You sure you got the right guy here? <laughs> I don't like the way this sounds. Lord, have I heard, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. You didn't want Saul, if you're a Christian, knocking at your door. He brought havoc upon the church of Jesus Christ. And even after his conversion, we read there in Acts 9, when he went to Jerusalem, they did not want to associate with him. They were fearful. Paul's coming to church. This Saul of Tarsus has been killing all these Christians. He he wants to come and worship with us. And this looks a little fishy to me. And they stayed away from him, but 
Barnabas was one who reached out to him and, and welcomed him and introduced him later um, to the church. Um, and he says that no one compared to him. He had advanced in Judaism and there was no one like him. He was full of energy and commitment. He was a disciple of Gamaliel. Probably his mother had that bumper sticker that said, my son is a graduate of the school of Gamaliel. And uh, she was probably proud of him. But it was a twisted understanding of the scriptures. It was the pharisaical tradition that was not a correct understanding of what Moses had taught. But we read there in verse 15 these wonderful words, but when it pleased God, and notice this, who separated me from my mother's womb. Where else do we see that? Ty, you're going to quote it for us? This is one of his memory verses. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, nobody would know. Okay. <laughs> Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and sanctified you and or ordained you to be a prophet, to speak on behalf of, of me. And so it was here as well with Paul. I knew you even in your mother's womb. And his purpose for Saul was that he would one day be a convert and he would be one who would be an apostle used of God to speak the gospel and uh, probably unparalleled to any of the other apostles. And it was certainly no merit of Paul, that's for sure. It was all of God's grace. I saw him and I set him apart unto myself. And he had been loved with an everlasting love. And uh, he has called him to preach. Does this not illustrate to us the sovereign grace of our God? We were not seeking him. He in grace was seeking us. It was God who did this. It pleased him. It was out of his good pleasure. Listen to these words by Leon Morris. He said, having made it clear that his credentials in the Jewish establishment were impeccable. Paul moves to emphasize that his membership of the Christian group did not take place because on reflection, he decided to make the change. It was God who brought it about. God who separated him, called him, and revealed his son in him. Paul makes it clear that becoming a Christian was not a bright idea that occurred to him. In fact, that would have been the furthest thing from his mind. It was not that he became dissatisfied with Judaism and looking around for a way that appealed to him more settled on Christianity. Nothing human could account for the great change that had taken place in him. It was God who brought it all about. Is that not our story as well? Where would I be had God left me to myself? But God knew me before the world ever began. 
It certainly humbles the pride of man, does it not? And gives glory and honor to God alone for such a great, uh, great a salvation as this. Then in verse 16, he says, uh, He revealed his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to find these other apostles. I didn't confer uh, with men. I didn't go to get instruction or advice from men. So he did not seek anyone else out, but it was God <clears throat> through his son that taught him. So he didn't go up to Jerusalem. Um, he would go up there later, three years later, after his conversion to visit with Peter. And when he was with Peter, then it was just a casual visit. He wasn't being taught by Peter, instructed by Peter. It says that he came to get acquainted with him. Uh, we see in verse 18, uh, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So my authority didn't come even from Peter, who was very important among the apostles. Um, so it didn't come from him, and my instruction and my authority didn't come to me because of Peter. And then he returned to Syria and Sicily, Cilicia, um, and he was unknown to the churches. He says in verses 21 to 24, I was unknown to the churches of Judea. And so all they knew of Paul was his amazing testimony, those in Jerusalem, the one who once was against them is now with them. And the one who was trying to oppose the gospel is now promoting the gospel. And they recognized that. Paul was preaching Christ. It's amazing. Right after his conversion, he's beginning to preach. All the pieces have come together that he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. It's pretty, pretty amazing when we think about that. Um, as we get into chapter 2, there would be a second visit that he would make to Jerusalem 14 years later. Um, and again, we see that it wasn't because of his association with these other apostles that he had the authority that he had. And the point in all of this is that his message was not derived from all the years that he spent as a Pharisee. His message and calling was not something that came from men, even the apostles of Jerusalem. His message, his calling as an apostle was by Christ long before he ever met any of the apostles. So when did he meet with them? And, and uh, when he did meet with them, they recognized that he was an apostle ordained and sent by Christ. Um, and so Paul again here, his message his authority did not come from men, but it came from Christ. It was Christ who taught him on the backside of the desert for three years. What a seminary class that would have been, <laughs> to sit at the feet of Jesus, to be taught of him. And as we think about this passage of Scripture here tonight, we're reminded, aren't we, of the value of the apostolic authority where Christ entrusted to men <clears throat> and commissioned them to speak on his behalf. And so we with the Thessalonians would say to Paul, to the apostolic uh, authorities, those that Christ had ordained, 
that when we heard the word of God, we did not receive it as the word of men, but what it truly is, the word of God, which effectually works in us. It's his word that comes to us through the apostles. And isn't that wonderful to know as Christians that what we have is not the eyewitnesses of somebody, you know, years later. These were firsthand witnesses of the risen Christ who knew him. And they are the ones who speak to us and have been recorded in scripture for us. And this is the authority that we have, God's word given to us by these apostles in the New Testament. Well, also, as we look at this, we see a reason for thanksgiving of the transforming grace of God. What a testimony of the apostle Paul, one who hated the Christians, who hated Christ. His life then was turned upside down by God's grace. Sometimes we think maybe if we were raised in church, I used to think this way that, you know, I don't really have too dramatic of a testimony of conversion. And, you know, I was saved in church out of the pew by God's grace. And I wasn't out there sowing my wild oats. But the more I came to understand about what the Bible says, that we are all dead in sin and transgressions, as I was grappling with those things and realizing it took the very same grace of God to save me in the pew as it did to save Paul, who was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. And together we would say, it's all of his grace. And thanks be God. It is all of his grace. And then we're reminded also of God's gifting, that God gave gifts. Christ, when he was raised up, he gave gifts to his church. He gave some as apostles, prophets. And we are thankful for that thankful for the gifting of God. Paul would become one who wrote half of our New Testament, and how we are thankful for that. And we understand these aren't the words of Paul. These are the words of Christ. You know, a lot of people say, well, I just like what Jesus said. I like the red letter edition of the Bible, and I read just those red words. No. Christ spoke through Paul and gave us his word. He speaks for Christ. And Ray spoke a couple weeks ago about gifting, that God has given us gifts as well to serve in the church of Jesus Christ. And we give thanks to God for all the various gifts that he has given. And we're also reminded, as we think of Paul, what he says in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy statement, worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. I am chief. I'm the worst of sinners. We are thankful again for God's grace that saves stubborn, willful, unbelieving um, rebels against God and transforms and brings about conversion. It's all to his glory and his honor. So we'll pick up next week in chapter 2 as Paul goes on to defend his authority as an apostle and uh, one who spoke for Christ. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.